The opinions and suggestions expressed on the following program are solely those of the participants and not necessarily endorsed by program sponsors or any radio station, media company, or platform broadcasting this program. The following program is a product of Causeway LLC. The information in this broadcast is not intended as investment, tax, or financial advice. Matthew Moore is not a licensed investment advisor and speaks solely from his experience and opinions. All information in this broadcast is for entertainment or educational purposes only. Matthew Moore, Causeway LLC, and the company or platform broadcasting this program is not responsible for the success or failure of any person's investment decisions or purchases. Matthew Moore, Causeway LLC, and the company or platform broadcasting this program makes no and expressly disclaims all representations, warranties, and guarantees with respect to this broadcast and its sponsors. Investing in any market is inherently risky and can be financially dangerous. Invest at your own risk. Government officials Welcome to Cryptocurrency with Matthew J. Moore, the Bitcoin-focused radio show that's waking the masses to the fiat money Ponzi scheme. Money is changing and your freedom is at stake. So stick around and learn how to empower yourself for this new digital age. Now, here's your host, Matthew J. Moore. And welcome, America, and welcome, world. That's right. You've tuned into the right spots. This is the one and only, maybe one and only, radio shows, podcast that's dedicated to Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies, blockchain technology. In fact, uh, we're, we're all over the place. Yes, you can find us digitally, but we are on your traditional radio airwaves, which is very important in my opinion. So I just, uh, just want to welcome all you newbies and experts and lovers in this space because we're going to have a little bit of something for everybody. And I guarantee you, you're going to learn something because not only do we cover things like technology and the nature of money and history, and sometimes we get into politics, but more importantly, we're going to talk about headlines and news because this space does move really, really, really fast. And today I have got a co-host who is uh, joining me today, and he is going to be helping me cover some of this news. In fact, uh, it's going to be important because he has a Series 65 license, and uh, he works, he's a lawyer who works in the digital asset space when it comes to policy. Uh, I've met him and known him through the Oklahoma Blockchain Council, the Oklahoma Bitcoin Association. That's right, we are based here in the great state of Oklahoma, but uh, I want to go ahead and get things started with a bang because... Man, we have made history this week in the world of Bitcoin when it comes to a spot ETF. In fact, we're going to kind of dive into what that really means for the future and how did we get here and why should everybody care? Uh, first of all, Rick Jackson, he's stepping in. He is a guest co-host today. Rick, I'm excited to cover this topic. In fact, I think you're the perfect person to have to help me cover this because you're probably a little bit more knowledgeable in this than I am. Well, I hope I live up to the expectations and thank you for having me. Glad to join you. Yeah, no. In, in fact, um, first thoughts just right out the gate. 11, was it 11 companies uh, had their spot Bitcoin ETFs applications approved and uh, trading has begun. In fact, it was record breaking as far as like an ETF goes. Uh, when when it comes to to, to volume, was it like four point six billion? Over four billion dollars oh, yeah. in, in in trading volume on the first day, which is the most of any ETF launch that has ever occurred. So yeah, if if you'd have talked with me about this, the possibility of this day a year ago, I would have thought it would have been a great thing to happen. Would you have? Would I have believed that eleven companies would be launching a big spot Bitcoin ETF product? And then taking the record for the most ETF trading, I could have believed, I would have believed they would have gotten the most trading volume for all the reasons that we know. I don't know that I'd believe you that it was going to happen or that there were going to be 11 companies launching products. Yeah, well, and you know, today's show is definitely going to be fun because it's a, more of a, a banter shooting from the hips covering these headlines. But 
Where do you think we should start? Because I mean, there are some people who probably have no idea what an ETF is. They probably don't know how we got here. And in fact, it seems like the whole Bitcoin and cryptocurrency space has been talking about a spot ETF forever at nauseum. Right. And it's just like, you know, hey, it's like it's here. Was this a you know, what did they call it? Uh, buy the new, you know, buy the rumor, sell the news type mm-hmm. events or how, what were your thoughts? Well, so I, I will disclaim, uh, you know, joining your disclaimer that none of this is financial advice or legal advice, uh, do your own research. But I would say that to your point, yes, the, the Bitcoin I- ecosystem has been talking about exchange chain products or getting onto some type of security. And I mean that capital S like the SEC would want to mean it yeah. since 2013. So this is, this is 11 years coming. Uh, from the industry's perspective, but from maybe the financial services sector, this is something that's fairly brand new. Maybe maybe six months to nine months of real, obviously people who've been launching, the companies launching these products have been probably researching this space for a long time. But from the financial advisor perspective, this is a six month, nine month question that this is even a, a, rea- a possible reality. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, how much do you think, I mean, with the record breaking day and week that we've basically had here, uh, there technically was a false start yeah, uh, we, yeah, we'll based get to off that. of a compromised Twitter account. Um, you know, we'll definitely uh, address that. What, what do you want to cover first here? Where, where do we want to go? Well, so I think what we'll do is, is talking with colleagues in the financial advising space is that they are very comfortable with traditional finance concepts, which we can, we'll get into maybe not so comfortable with how this came about, why Bitcoin ETFs are the vehicle that a consumer or a customer may want, or how we got to this place and why the industry is celebrating the, it was, uh, it was yesterday. Yesterday was the first trading day as we are recording today. So why is the industry so excited? So I think what, I think what we'll take it is from a zero to 100 our primer yeah. to understand basically if you if you listen to the whole show and you take in what we tell you you'll know all of the bullet points for understanding how it is that we got to yesterday how we got to this place from here all the way from the start in 2013 yeah well where does this yellow brick road begin well i think the yellow brick road begins back in 2009 bitcoin launched yeah. uh, we have in fact to the day uh, was it 15 years? Yeah, 15 years fact, to the day. Which, yeah. great point. Yep. I mean, 15 years ago. How ironic is it that the day that this stuff was approved, Hal Finney, which is a notorious name in the Bitcoin space, he posted on Twitter that he was running Bitcoin for yep. the first time. And uh, some people speculate that Hal Finney possibly could be Satoshi Nakamoto, but uh, that's all speculation. But he was definitely one of the first people to interact with Satoshi Nakamoto. So uh, do you think there's any significance to the approval of this product or these products, I should say, on this day? I I will take the, uh, you know, a little bit of a tinfoil hat (laughs) perspective in that, uh, no, there are no coincidences. Particular, you have 365 potential days to select uh, the day that it could be launched. You pick the one day that how Fenny tweets out running Bitcoin. Uh, we could also, again, this is not for this episode, but dive into was how Fenny Satoshi Nakamoto, who yeah. is Satoshi Nakamoto. But I do think that it is very emblematic of the importance, not just of you know what this what today means for the general investing population, but what also means for Bitcoin as a technology and its social, philosophical, political impact. So we we, we can get into that too. But it's no, I, I, I would agree. It's very momentous and it's very important uh, that, and I think, I think a... A due reward to Hal, who's who's passed on. A, a due reward for all the work that he did in promoting right the Bitcoin in the early early days. Well, with the 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 financialization of this asset, I mean, we've technically 
you know, it's been 15 years where it's gone to, to zero. And now what is it? A trillion dollar asset. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's significant. And some people are complaining, especially some Bitcoin maxis, like that, the fact that there is a spot Bitcoin ETF now available to a large amount of people that, uh, you know, they've kind of handed over their baby and that, uh, things are no longer going to be the same. What, what are your thoughts on that? I, I would say that they're not mutually exclusive. In that if you want to be a laser-eyed, dyed-in-the-wool Bitcoin maximalist, you still have the capability. Bitcoin as a protocol right. was not going to restrict you. This is just an additional feature set that now is capable. And so I look at it in terms of this is the first time that investment advisors, that individuals with tax-incentivized accounts with institutional investments can actually access a product that's backed by Bitcoin right. as a as a commodity as a whatever we want to call it and isn't that the point of Bitcoin to transform the financial world and saying that rather than fiat standard that we are based right. we are basing our financial uh, our financial industries and our, you know, the, the finances of the world on something that's just simply just spoken into existence so that Bitcoin underlies all of that and so this is the this is would be the first implementation of that right is now we have a a first ETF product that's backed by spot Bitcoin never mm -hmm. happened before and it won't be the last well there are probably a lot of people who don't even know what the word ETF means so right. can you explain that yeah, well, sure so and I think I think it's a good point is we'll get into the specifics of the products we can also get into the history again from the industry's perspective how we got into it and so I think I think starting there with the history of the Bitcoin ETF and then explaining why an ETF is so important relative to all the other things that they were working on, that, that that will help, I think, understand and contextualize why it was so momentous and why it's so valuable that a Bitcoin ETF was approved. Right, right. Yeah, because, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm one to say that uh, I, you know, until jumping into this space, the, the whole cryptocurrency blockchain space, I really got a fast-paced education on learning some of the lingo, terms, investment vehicles, all this stuff that, you know, uh, just the average Joe, if they're just hearing this on the radio and they just have no real exposure to that world, and it's not a bad thing. It's just, it's you know, sometimes can be perceived as complicated. It's like these terms just go over people's heads. So to really grasp the ideas that we're talking about, I think it's going to be great. Yeah. And so and so we'll go from there. Well, we talked about uh, Hal Finney running, the, uh, running Bitcoin in 2009. And so we'll take, we'll basically take it from 2009 until yesterday. Okay. And, and in the process of understanding history, you'll start to understand the differences in the products and then uh, the difference in the opportunity to set that we have as of yesterday. All right. Well, school me for the next 10 minutes. Okay. Let's, <laughs> we'll, let's, let's di we'll dive right in. So, so 2009, 2009 until maybe the first investment vehicles, you really had only a handful of ways of owning Bitcoin. Right. One, you could like Hal Finney, you could mine it, you could run the protocol, you could run a node and you would be rewarded either through the block subsidy, which is the, the incentive that was built into the, the mining protocols yep. to run a pro to run a node. Or you could do transaction fees, which is effectively a customer of Blockspace saying, I'll pay you to do to run my transaction. So you could get Bitcoin that way. You could be paid for running the network. Yeah. You could go on to an exchange, which 2009 up until, well, we'll say the, the launch of Coinbase in the U.S. was probably not the safest place you could go and certainly not somewhere you take an right. a serious investment. They were, they were unregulated. I think if you go back into history, Mt. Gox is a, is a, is a battle scar that the industry took in 2013. Well, magic, it was the, the Mt. Gox. I mean, mm -hmm. it, that was short for, uh, magic, uh, magic, the gathering yeah. online exchanges, a place to buy trading cards yeah. and they would accept Bitcoin. And what ends up happening is 
they just started buying and selling and trading Bitcoin. It was never intended for that, but that's what it ultimately did. Right. But that, that is emblematic of just how uh, duct tape and spaghetti this thing was <laughs> at the very beginning is that you, that's how, that's how you could buy it online. And so that was another way you could do it. You could trade for it. You could actually meet someone who had Bitcoin and you could say, I'll give you dollars. I'll give you something right. of value for it. So if you wanted to buy a car, you could trade for Bitcoin, but you could trade for it. But that means you had to find, you had to know somebody who did it or had it. You also have to convince them to give it up. And yep. probably in those early days, they probably meet in a back alley. Meet, well, they, they, uh, <laughs> they, they either, either you probably both thought it wasn't really worth anything or right. they were, they were so convinced that they were never going to give it up. So it was, it was pretty tough. And I think, and then later on you start seeing Bitcoin ATMs where yeah. you could go and deposit cash, but that was, that was basically it for, for several years up until uh, 2013. And this is where we start moving into the more formal investment products. And at that point in 23 September of 2013, Grayscale, which is the company that it is probably most known for trying to drive the adoption of, of an ETF, Grayscale launched their Bitcoin trust. And basically that was because they were, they were having to take as high of a regulated stance as possible. They were only able to offer a trust to accredited investors. Right. So what do I mean by that? Well, if you're an accredited investor, you have certain things that the IRS and the SEC say, if you meet these thresholds, we'll allow you to invest in special products that aren't available to the general public. But just suffice to know, you have to make either enough money to clear the hurdle, you have to have a high enough net worth, or you have to have an investment-based or financial services certification. Say, hey, we think we you know right. what you're talking about. So it's only for those sets of people and only in this particular investment vehicle, which was a trust. So we'll sell you shares of our trust. You would be a limited partner. You'd buy shares of this trust. This trust owns Bitcoin. Right. And all it does is sit and hold on Bitcoin. So that, that has some issues... Again, it's was, it was trying to meet a regulatory exception to be able to offer the product. And so it had some problems just by virtue of the fact that it existed. So it was it was a trust. It was closed end, and so, which means that they can only issue a certain once once they issue shares, that's that's the end so, of it. Um, and so there was issues with valuations. Um, and it's it just it makes it very difficult. And so that that's where we start again. 2013 was the launch of the trust. In 2015, Grayscale got the approval to trade over the counter. So you you didn't have to execute through the private sale, but now you're doing a effectively least regulated market. Right. So not regulated by the SEC. It's over the counter. Um, and excuse me, this is when it's sh shifted over to a closed-in trust, which means once they issue, let's say there were 100 shares of this trust company for 100 units of Bitcoin, it didn't matter what else happened after that. There were 100 units. So sometimes a share would trade for more than the value of the Bitcoin it held. Sometimes they trade for right. less. That's if you ever heard someone saying it's trading at a premium or trading at a discount. That's what it means. But that's because of the particular vehicle that it had. They just could not create more shares. So there was the possibility for a difference in the price of the share of the trust versus the value of an asset right. inside the trust. And so that's, that is where this all starts, is that Grayscale... Look, looking to again make money and off a of financial service financial product did what they had to do to to wind their way through regulatory exemptions to find a way to be able to sell uh, a bitcoin based product not backed but bitcoin based, based product yeah. and so that's where we where we start the story is basically you could either find bitcoin on its own and you had to do the you had to custody it you had to own it you had to run you manage it on your own to what would be the one of the first products right. that that was bitcoin adjacent but you you there were there were <coughs> problems that it had because of again 
uh, what they had to do from a regulatory perspective to be able just to offer this as an opportunity. Well, and I don't want to jump the gun on your story here or the timeline, but I mean, how do you, I just want a quick insertion here. How do you compare, you know, the, the, the grayscale product versus somebody going and buying shares of micro strategies because they've got a ton of Bitcoin on their balance sheet. So it's kind of like another indirect way of owning sure. Bitcoin. So, so what micro strategy is effectively doing is they're, they're run, kind of running an end around on it. What, what MicroStrategy is doing is acquiring Bitcoin as an asset on the company's treasury balance sheet. Basically saying we own a bunch of assets, whether that's a building or cars or machinery. We also happen to have a category called Bitcoin. Right. And we're just, we have that as, as part of the value of this company should it ever be liquidated. And so what MicroStrategy's strategy is, as it relates to Bitcoin, is we are going to sell shares in the entire company, which they still are a company. They still right. do software services. We're going to sell shares in that entire company, but we're going to use it to plus up the treasury of Bitcoin. And they're effectively running a, it's a, it's a quasi, quasi investment vehicle trust thing where it's sort of like, well, we're, we're, we're not, we're not a, a, we're not a luxury car company, but we buy a bunch of them and put them in a warehouse, hoping that they appreciate into the future. And that's effectively what they're doing is they're buying Bitcoin, putting it on right. a, on a, on a balance sheet and saying, well, we don't buy and sell Bitcoin. We, we do other things, but we just happen to have this on, on the balance sheet. Well, we've got about a minute before we got to go to break. So any, any other points we should uh, cover before we tie a bow on this? Well, and so I think that's, that's, I think that's to get you, that gets you all the way up from, from 2009 when Bitcoin launched. So I had to, the only way you could own Bitcoin was to actually have Bitcoin. You had to run a wall, you had to own a wall, you had to run yep. software to what would have been the best that we could have done at the time security offering over the counter into 2015. The next phase is really where we start seeing the, the, the kind of the growing pains of both the industry. Again, 2000, 2015 to, to yesterday, uh, a couple of booms and busts in that time. Oh, yeah. Um, but also the financial products that, that mature. And you'll start to see how those interplays work where we're going from a trust-based product to futures products to questions about ETFs. There's a little bit of, uh, of, of legal... Uh, dancing back and forth and so we'll get yeah. into that's you know why the sec plays a role why the courts play a role uh, but i think that's kind of again that's where we'll take the ancient history to modern history I, about financial products i think it's perfect in fact i hope you guys are all scratching your heads maybe you're learning something uh, in a good way uh, i'm definitely uh, going to school here as we do our history lessons uh but i want you to stick around in fact if you're listening on the radio and you find this interesting call up a friend tell them to tune in and hey if you're listening online give us a like comment subscribe do what you got to do to, uh, you know, get the word out, share it because these episodes are important. We've got a whole lot more when we come back. And uh, until then, uh, we'll see you guys right after this commercial break. And we'll have more great content coming your way with Rick Jackson. Do you have Medicare and do you use a CPAP machine? This is a national healthcare alert regarding your CPAP supplies. Using a clean CPAP mask and clean supplies is important to staying healthy. The best way to make sure your CPAP equipment is clean is to get new supplies. If you have Medicare, we have great news. Medicare will pay for you to have new clean supplies every 90 days. We'll even do all the paperwork for you to make sure that there's little to no out-of-pocket cost to you. And you don't even have to leave your home. 
we provide free in-home delivery. So if you're a CPAP user and you have Medicare, staying healthy with new CPAP equipment is easy. Just make this free phone call right now to get started. Sponsored by Specialty Medical. 800-262-0318. What does it mean to be physically, spiritually, and financially free? The right to life, liberty, property, and the pursuit of happiness, these were the ideas that made America. But what happens to these ideas when America's money becomes compromised? What do you do when the very thing that you're working for day after day is fundamentally designed to enslave you? Whether it was a conspiracy or not, you won't believe what is about to happen in this country. Arm yourself today with the truth and build your life on the foundations for liberty. Rediscover freedom in the 21st century and grab a copy of my Amazon best-selling book, Foundations for Liberty. For just $11.99, you can support this radio show by finding a copy on Amazon or by going to mattjmore.com. Again, that's mattjmore.com. Don't wait, because freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. In times of economic uncertainty and chaos, your money means nothing. You may not even be able to get it from your bank or ATM. And the money you do have in the stock market will go down and down. What you can bank on is gold and silver. Gold and silver have been a reliable and trusted form of currency for thousands of years. Gold and silver have never been worth zero, and typically gold holds its value during economic turmoil. Call the gold hotline now and learn how to protect your money and your assets with gold and silver. And learn how to set up a new IRA or roll over your current one into a gold-backed IRA. Protect your money from the next market crash with gold and silver. Call now for your free gold guide. 800-795-3441. And welcome back, America. That's right. This is round two of America's Bitcoin-focused radio show. And whether you are a Bitcoin lover, newbie, or expert, I want to welcome everybody. In fact, I even want to welcome all those haters. And if you want to send me a carefully typed out email talking about how much Bitcoin sucks, hey, listen, I'll take it as well. And we're here to create a dialogue. So hopefully, if you stick around, we'll convince you of something good about this space. In fact, we think Wall Street is on board now. So uh, if you uh, missed your opportunity to front, well, actually, you did miss your opportunity to front run Wall Street uh, to some regards. And uh, I've got a guest today on the show who is the perfect person to bring in to talk about this history that's been made with these Bitcoin spot ETF products that uh, quite frankly have been the buzz in this cryptocurrency space for quite some time now. But uh, Rick Jackson is in studio with me and he is my guest co-host today. And uh, he is man he is a, a person who is qualified to talk on this stuff because he's got a Series 65 license uh, and he works in uh, policy when it comes to digital assets uh, here in the great state of Oklahoma. He is a lawyer as well. Uh, but I met him uh, through the Oklahoma Bitcoin Association and the Oklahoma Blockchain Council. That's right. We're here in the great state of Oklahoma, which uh, we are biased to. So uh, you'll probably learn a few things about our great state as we do this show. But uh, Rick, welcome back uh, to, to this uh, segment here. We've been talking a little bit about the history of 
how we where we were, how we got here, and why it matters. Uh, man, I, I'm going to give it back to you in the sense of like, you know, what what should the people know as we go down this journey? talking about ETFs. Sure. So, so recapping, recapping last segment, uh, we talked about if you wanted to own Bitcoin in the very earlier days, you had to own Bitcoin. And then a first product came out was a private investment vehicle that only accredited investors were able to get into that converted to an over-the-counter security. And so that catches you up. 2009 was the launch of Bitcoin to about 2015. And now, now we're getting into the different permutations of investment vehicles and, and really what gets us from the first investment vehicle to what we're now talking about today, which is the spot Bitcoin ETF launch that happened yesterday. Well, then should we dive into the meaning of an ETF and then the meaning of what a futures contract is? Yeah. And so I think that's a, that's a good place to start is, is, is after it was Grayscale Bitcoin Trust launched in 2013 and then converted to an over-the-counter security that you could buy. The, the next products that came onto the market were Bitcoin-based futures contracts. And so, and then, or futures products, excuse me. So, I, the, the first question I think anybody would ask is, well, if I don't know, what is a, a future mm-hmm. contract? And so the easiest way to understand it is, is that a futures contract is an agreement between two people saying we agree to the sale of something at a given price on a future day. So if you and I were sitting here and say, well, I, I don't want to buy Bitcoin from you today, but in a month I'll buy it from you for $45,000 right. per Bitcoin We'll, we'll settle it up March 1st. So it's like a speculative bet. It, it can. In fact, yeah. what most what most often they're used for is in the commodity space. So if you are a farmer and you say, well, I have my entire farm planted and ready for, let's say I'm growing corn. I don't want to, to face the risk of, say, a storm coming through or some type of blight or a, a disease or something. I, I want to de-risk this investment that I've quite literally put into the ground. So I will go to, say, Kellogg's, who makes corn flakes, and say, if you're willing to buy this from me, however much I produce or, or give it at a given price, I will sell it to you for that. I've de-risked me growing corn, saying I'm, I know that if I can produce this amount of bushels of corn, yep. that you'll buy that for this amount of price at a given date. You on the other side can say, okay, we know how much the corn that we're going to put into our cornflakes is going to cost because right. we've already paid for it. Now, whether the market says it's more or less, we can, we can, we've de-risked this. And so that's what a futures contract is meant to do. And so where we get now kind of circling back into the Bitcoin space is we had the grayscale Bitcoin trust offering. Yep. The next product that came out were questions because uh, there were there were some back and forth with the SEC about what could and couldn't be allowed for a lot of very different reasons that, unless your financial advisor are not pertinent to kind of understanding what happened. But the next process of of investment products came out were around futures, and so what was then launched we we got ourselves from 2009 to 2015. 2015 was over the counter for uh, the grayscale the grayscale Bitcoin trust, and then finally in 2017. So we're catching all the way back up to right before the ICO boom. Right is the first regulated Bitcoin futures products were authorized. And so this basically says, I agree to buy from you or you agree to sell to me Bitcoin at a given price and we, and we make a deal for that. So that, that was what was being traded back and forth. It was effectively paper claims. Right. It's a derivative product. It's not the actual Bitcoin. It's a, a derivative that we're being traded back and forth. And so that was the next, that was the next phase of, of being able to air quote, invest in Bitcoin, even though it wasn't actual Bitcoin. That's right. the closest thing you could do is you were trading back and forth on what you thought the price was. And so you didn't have to own Bitcoin. So now we're, we're one layer removed. You didn't have to own it. And, we, and there are some positive and negative to that. But what it did offer 
from the, I think from the industry perspective, and I hope this is again communicating to the maxis in the world, is that when you, the, the more mainstream of a product that you get, the more security to the average investor or the more le- air of legitimacy or regulation, and, and some people want to play in a regulated space, the more that you get those two things, a sense of security and legitimacy. Well, and I think it's inevitable. I'm going to interject a small point here because, you know, if you're talking about something like Bitcoin going from zero to a trillion dollar asset and now is potentially could be seen in the future as a world reserve asset uh, to go from, you know, cypherpunks and shadowy super coders, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. and, and now you're talking about a world reserve asset. It's inevitable that the, you know, old money and institutional money, uh, your traditional vehicles, wall street, all that stuff is going to come in regardless. So I don't know. It's like, mm-hmm. why fight it? If it's inevitable, just, just make sure you know how to use the tools to maintain the world that you want to live in as well. Yeah, and, I'll, and I, will, I will counter them with a challenge. Go to your wallet and send a transaction without double-checking the send or receive address. Right. I dare you to do it. If you're not willing to go through that process, <laughs> then, then maybe it's okay that people who are not comfortable with Bitcoin as right. an asset itself are want to look for other opportunities. So right. just in the same way you say, not your keys, not your coin, which I totally understand, institutional custody is is a is a bridge between someone who wouldn't touch bitcoin to someone who's at least engaging with it who at least owns it some way to then start learning more and more and more about it it's an opportunity to continue the conversation and so that's that's where we were uh regulated bitcoin futures come out in 2017 we are trading basically paper claims to bitcoin in the future and that just went back and forth and now where it really starts to get into kind of the machinations of of government and industry and politics and money is that from about 2018 to 2022, 2023, the grayscales of the world said, ah, we, we already see the future. We already see the opportunity set in traditional finance. We want to take our trusts. We mm-hmm. want to take these future contracts. We want to take the, we want to convert them into more and more accessible products, which would be an exchange-traded product of which there are exchange-traded funds, which is ETF. And so real quick, real quick primer on ETFs. What, what is an ETF vice? Yeah, that's a good a contract or futures contract. An ETF is basically a way for trading in an asset, usually securities, without having to own the securities themselves. The best case, the best way that if you were to talk to somebody who didn't know what Bitcoin is at all, you could say, look, if you were wanting to buy or sell the S&P 500, you could go out to Fidelity or E-Trade or whatever your platform of choice, and you could try to buy a share of every single stock in the S&P 500. You could weight it. Right. The way that the S&P 500 does it, you could spend all that time doing the administration or you could go to buy a S&P 500 ETF, which says if you buy a share in our product, that share is equivalent to every single asset weighted the same way. When S&P makes adjustments, we make adjustments. When they change companies in and out, we change them. It is, it is administrative efficiency to own a, usually a basket of goods. So if you want to trade oil, you buy an ETF in oil, et cetera, et cetera. Well, and it's, and it's giving you exposure to, to the overall performance of the market. So in other words, it's also kind of maybe a more conservative play because even though you may not get the, the, the giant dips, uh, you know, as far as the, the value of like, say a particular stock, Mm -hmm. uh, you're also not going to get the giant, you know, moonshots uh, as well. So it's kind of like a, there's a diversification element to it. And you say, well, I could invest in, I can invest in three companies because I have enough money to invest in three companies because of their share prices, or I could buy a whole market ETF, an index ETF, like an S and P index and say, well, 
I, I don't want to I don't want to go through the roller coaster of a single stock one right. bad earnings report and now now I'm down nine percent in a day I, d- I just don't want to deal with that I want to invest across a broad spectrum of assets or if you want to be industry specific I want to invest in oil but I don't have to pick a single company right and I think maybe I speculatively think oil is on an uptrend I want to buy lots of different companies in oil or I think that uranium is an uptrend right. Or, or a sector is an uptrend, but I, I don't know enough to know who's going to be the real winner or loser. I'm just going to place, I'm going to place investments in all of them knowing that they're going to do well. And ETF gives you that opportunity. But that's not how the spot Bitcoin ETF is necessarily going to work. Correct. And, and not all ETFs have to work that way. And so there are ETFs for commodities, which is the same way that kind of where probably Bitcoin would better fit in yeah. if you were to ask the SEC. And so if you say, well, I don't want to own, I, I may, I don't want to have to try to buy shares in a farm. Right. But I'll buy to our example in the first segment. But I, I think that uh, I have a let's say I have a friend in, in farm country who says, actually, you know, we've we've seen and we've seen uh, it got really cold. The wheat's not growing as well. It's going to be really expensive to get good wheat next, you know, next fall. You say, oh, well, I, I'm going to invest in wheat commodity ETF. I don't know who's going to win, but I know I know someone who owns wheat is going to. Right. So you can do that. So that's that's basically what it is. it's to your point. It's a way of getting exposure to an underlying asset without having to deal with owning the asset itself. Well, so with the Bitcoin spot ETF, I mean, do you think the, uh, the, I mean, the volatility I think is a good thing because I think it's attractive and that's why people are wanting to get into it to some degree or you think I'm wrong there? Well, and so I think that's, you know, going back into the history is that's why the Bitcoin futures products were successful before they converted is that people were saying, look, yes, with, with volatility comes downside, but there's also opportunity upside. And so again, Bitcoin futures were trading as early as 2017. Then you get into 2018, 2019, or 2018 to about 2022. The SEC, there's back and forth with the industries. And we have, there were efforts to convert from trusts or products to, to exchange traded products. So basically being, have, have the value or opportunity that we had liquidity. So ease of sell, buy and sell big markets, who can access, who can spend money on. Um, and, and Grayscale, Grayscale kind of carries a banner for a reason we'll get into about how this works, but really kind of the crux of, if you want to talk about, well, why did it take till now to happen? The SEC basically said, Bitcoin is not a place that we're going to, we feel comfortable saying it's a good investment or a safe investment for a lot of different reasons. We're just not going to let you do it. Mm-hmm. And so w- where we, where we get into the meat and where the industry, Bitcoin industry, and, and particularly Grayscale kind of get their, their claws into this is to say is in 2022, the SEC authorized futures exchange traded products. So in back in 2017, you and I could sell a future contract, but you had to have access to futures right. contracts. Now we're we're taking the futures, which is just a contract to buy or sell into the future at a given price, and we're putting an ETF wrapper on that and saying, okay, here's a stack of futures. Right. You can now you can now buy a share in this stack of futures contracts. So in 2022 after the SEC has been denying Grayscale the opportunity to convert their trust to an exchange-traded product, they've said, okay, we will let futures contracts in an ETF wrapper. Right. You can sell shares of that. And that happened in 2022. And that's where really this game kind of changes. Grayscale has been trying to, or has been- Long time. If you, if you've been, if you talk with, if you listen to their, uh, kind of their communications, their official communications, they have been working on an ETP, exchange-traded product, really since they started. They knew that that's where they needed to take this. Is again, just a regulatory issue that they're facing. In 2022, after they had been denied the ability to convert, and the SEC approves a futures ETP, ET exchange-traded product, basically now we have, we have converted. And we basically say, okay, if all of this is based on Bitcoin, 
one of one product is a futures contract, which is just a buy and sell of a price. If that's authorized, why haven't you authorized us, a trust who owns actual Bitcoin, to sell ETF traded shares of the actual Bitcoin? Can you tell us the difference? Right. Can you SEC tell us the difference? And they actually had a lawsuit. And so the SEC or the uh, Grayscale sued the SEC and said, "Look, your your decision doesn't make sense to us." And so what what they they uh, they have a case. They go into the uh, appellate court, of the D.C. Court of Appeals, and basically what is what is articulated is is, is Grayscale again. We we talked in the early stage. If you have a if you have a trust product that's closed end, it can trade at premiums and discounts. And what Grayscale articulated to the court said, "Look, we we because of the regulations that we're under." our products are selling at a discount right? as much as at a certain point, I think it was down into the 40% discount. We, we are being economically harmed by this decision that we can't understand. Will you court tell us why, or will you tell the SEC that this is not correct? And so the federal court of appeals effectively articulated, you know, not to get into the, too much of the detail of the lawsuit, but basically the DC court of appeals said to the SEC, we actually can't figure out why you made this decision either. And they went all the way to say that your decision to deny the conversion to a spot product while you have approved a futures product right. is very, two very, three very important words, arbitrary and capricious. Right. We don't know why you did it. It doesn't make sense. And it doesn't align with your decisions in the past. And, and, and so the bigger picture. In other words, they were saying it would have been better for them to approve a spot Bitcoin ETF. Well, I think, I think what they're saying is, is that if you're going to approve one, approve. then you have to have approved both. Ah, okay. And to make the distinction... There, there's no, there's no, there is no basis for it. And so this, where this ties into, and it gets a kind of, again, changing political wind, directions of political winds, is that this, this was one, another challenge you see in, in kind of the broader space of, of the administrative state, is that that challenge was called, what is called Chevron deference. And Chevron deference basically says that if you have an, ex, an executive agency that has authority to, to, to make rules about something, so the SEC, Securities and Exchange Commission, has the authority to make, to make to do rulemaking over securities like ETF products, right? That we the courts have to defer to your decisions unless we can find no basis, and it's a very, 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 very low bar, or very high bar to clear to say that we can't find anything. And so this is one of those cases where the court said, "Look, we you guys are you guys are just out of pocket. There's there's no reason for what you said, and you SEC need to go back and review it again." All right. And so again, changing political winds is that now the courts. The courts are now kind of in headbutts on several cases around the idea of Chevron deference, basically saying executive agencies don't have unlimited power, which I think is now speaking personally, that's I think it's a good thing for the courts to do. Yeah. And there's several other cases, but this is emblematic of of the power that the courts have. And so in this case, the DC Circuit Court of Appeals said, SEC, your decision makes no there's no basis or grounding in fact. Go back and re-review it. Mm. And what effectively happened is the SEC said we're not gonna. We're not gonna try to find a reason, and that is where we have now made this. That's at that point. If you, if you'd have talked to us before that decision, you talked to me before that decision. There's probably no chance of a of a Bitcoin spot ETF. Yeah. When that decision came out, after that decision, the chances went from you know 10, 15, 20 percent to 80, 90 percent. Right. Because we've already got futures ETFs. Now we're looking at spot ETFs, and that's where again we get into big, big questions of now. Now the now that's when you start hearing on CNBC. Well, Bitcoin is a store of value. Bitcoin is valuable. Bitcoin is all these things because right now people, okay. are, people are starting to smell the sizzle. <laughs> well, we got probably one minute before we got to go to break here. But was there any coincidence that as soon as BlackRock made comment that they wanted to do a Bitcoin spot ETF, 
all of a sudden the winds really changed. Well, and so I think I think that is that was the 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 final nail in the coffin is that when this when the grayscale decision came out, Bitcoin saw the writing on the wall, or excuse me, uh, BlackRock saw yeah. the writing on the wall and said, "Oh, there's a chance to make a lot of money right. with this." And that's when, to your point, that's when they started saying, "Hey, we we are going to do this now." And if you guys don't know, BlackRock is what the number one asset manager in the world. Ten trillion dollars yeah. in assets under management. Yeah, I think what was that comment? Like they would be like their um, as far as a, if you would compare them to a country. You ever, did you hear that? They're 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 up there. Okay, they're well, way up there. Well, anyways, it's irrelevant. But uh, I uh, I definitely have been enjoying this uh, this conversation, and uh, we're gonna dive more into this uh, with Rick Jackson uh, because he does he does bring a lot of insightful. Uh, information when it comes to the history of where we were, why we're here now, why it's important, why we should care. And then the next segment, we're going to be talking about the future. Like, what does this mean for, you know, future as far as the markets go uh, for you individually and uh, and how you can best benefit this position yourselves? Because I think I, I am of the opinion, and so is a lot of other people, we're going to be entering into a bull, new bull market in Bitcoin if we're not already there. But we got to go to break. And uh, we'll be right back with more great information and uh, a great show because I'm really enjoying this with Rick. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. If you're the kind of person that likes to drive a lot and your car is a little older and out of the normal warranty, keep listening. What's going on underneath the hood of your car? If your car is out of warranty, you're at risk of expensive repair bills. Now, for a couple of dollars a day, you can get an extended protection plan for your car. You love your car, so why not give it a little extra care and make sure if something goes wrong, your bank account is safe. Literally, for a couple of dollars a day, you can give yourself peace of mind that you've purchased a top-tier vehicle repair coverage plan. Call the Auto Protection Network right now and ask how you could save an additional $500 on your policy. 800-987-0618. 800-987-0618. That's 800-987-0618. Come on, you watch the news. Be prepared to pay more taxes. Then if you owe back taxes or haven't filed in a few years, get ready. The IRS, the largest collection agency in the world, will be coming after you. With the power to collect taxes by any means they want to. Hey, they can freeze your bank account, your passport, even padlock your business. Oh, good times. Look, if the IRS claims you owe them 5000 or more in back taxes and they're coming after you, don't panic. Call my friends at Get a Tax Lawyer first. Their job is to negotiate with the IRS and save you money. They're experts at it. That's all they do. And you can trust them. In some cases, they have reduced a $50,000 tax bill to less than $1,000. If you owe the IRS $5,000 or more in back taxes, call now for a free consultation. Call 800-732-9635. 800-732-9635. What does it mean to be physically, spiritually, and financially free? The right to life, liberty, property, and the pursuit of happiness, these were the ideas that made America. But what happens to these ideas when America's money becomes compromised? What do you do when the very thing that you're working for day after day is fundamentally designed to enslave you? Whether it was a conspiracy or not, you won't believe what is about to happen in this country. 
Arm yourself today with the truth and build your life on the foundations for liberty. Rediscover freedom in the 21st century and grab a copy of my Amazon best-selling book, Foundations for Liberty. For just $11.99, you can support this radio show by finding a copy on Amazon or by going to mattjmore.com. Again, that's mattjmore.com. Don't wait, because freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. And we are back in the saddle. That's right. This is America's Bitcoin-focused radio show. One of the few, if not the only in the world. That's right. We are making history just like the information that we're talking about today. And in fact, almost every week because Bitcoin is history. And this whole space when it comes to cryptocurrency, blockchain technology, the future is not tomorrow. It's actually here. So I want to welcome you. If you're interested in this space, if you're an expert in this space, whatever you consider yourself, welcome. Because we've got a little bit of everything for everybody. And uh, today's show has been quite fun because we've been talking about the history that was made with these Bitcoin ETFs that were approved and uh, the the volume that has really transpired over this week with those products. But more importantly, the history. Why, why, you know, did we start at a certain point, you know, Bitcoin was zero dollars. It was, you know, uh, shadowy super coders. And now we got Wall Street investment vehicles, you know, for, for, for uh, an asset like Bitcoin, a commodity, really a uh, digital commodity. But I got the perfect person in studio to help us unpack this uh, and finish out the, sh- the show strong. His name is Rick Jackson. He is a co-host today and he is bringing some valuable valuable information. He is a lawyer, uh, works in policy when it comes to digital assets. And in fact, he's got his uh, series 65. So he does know a few things about uh, Wall Street and financial planning and all that uh, great stuff. So uh, Rick, thanks for being here again. Uh, let's recap to, to those people who are just now tuning in. Sure. So the, the, the quick 60 seconds. So in the very beginning, 2009, you could run Bitcoin. The only way you could own it was to actually have Bitcoin. Then later on, there were trust vehicles. We could do after that futures contracts. So the, an agreement to buy or sell something at a given price in the future that existed for a little while. There were some efforts of converting trust products into other ETF products going from these derivatives, futures is a derivative yep. to spot what's was now available, spot ETF. There were some back and forth, there were some legal harangues um, to what ultimately was really the deciding factor. The SEC approved a Bitcoin futures ETF. So a basket of futures contracts were now for sale by share. Uh, the, the request to convert trusts into spot ETFs that had been denied got taken to court. Hey, you approved futures ETFs, but why not spot ETFs? Right. The DC Circuit Court of Appeals said that decision to not approve a conversion, that was arbitrary and capricious. SEC, go back and re-review it, give us an answer. They couldn't have, they didn't have one. The floodgates opened. They said, well, that that basically signals to us that there's no more regulatory hurdles to launching a spot Bitcoin ETF. So let's do it. Let's let's get into it. We know there's demand. There's no, there's interest. And so that's where we will, if we're going to timeline this out, that was back in October of last year, give or take, is that, okay, we we really know that, that there's an opportunity uh, so, so August, August, October timeframe of 2023, that's, that's when we kind of know, okay, the SEC is not going to stand in the way of this, right? Pick your horses and let's, let's get ready to rock and roll. Right. 
Yeah, well, I mean, uh, it's been a long time coming. People have been talking about it. In fact, uh, the chairman of the SEC has been getting grilled in Congress before this uh, approval because, I mean, I think it just, you know, has taken way too long. Um, but, uh, you know, what what, is, what does this mean for, for us going forward here? Is there any ground that we need to cover uh, that the people need to know about? Sure. So I, I think we say, you know, okay, so we've now gotten a signal from the courts and the SEC that we're not going to, to block a Bitcoin spot ETF Let's let's get from there to, to yesterday. So now now the the industry, whether it be the Bitcoin industry or the financial services industry, said, okay, there's there's no more there's no more there's nothing stopping us from launching this anymore. So you start watching the SEC website. You start seeing companies like BlackRock, like Arc, right. like Fidelity file the necessary paperwork to offer spot Bitcoin products. You see Grayscale again refile for their conversion. This time, rather than denials, you really don't hear much out of the SEC, but you see refilings, you see, and so it's starting to say, okay, maybe this is actually really going to happen. And so that's, that's what basically is, now we are at a place where we're seeing filings, we're seeing corporations, we're also seeing CEOs and, and talking heads say, hey, look, uh, well, our comments in the past about Bitcoin being an index for money laundering and criminal activity, well, actually it's a great store of value. Right. It's actually valuable. Right. And he's, oh, well, isn't that convenient that, and so- for several months, we were in the process of the SEC review of these filings. People, there's some speculation. Was it going to happen? Was it not going to happen? I think the most accurate the most accurate predictions that I saw were saying that we think there's something like an 80 to 90% approval. When BlackRock steps into, I think they said something that they'd 50 or 60 ETF products launched, that they've only had one to be denied. That's right. a pretty good track record. So are they going to put the their... Their political capital, lowercase p, political capital behind a product that they think is not going to launch, probably not. So that's that's where we were, and up to um, up to a few months ago, up to a few months ago that we didn't have the opportunity to invest in. It. And now you see the, again, you know where we were in the products. You see, again see filings back and forth. And three days ago, as of the time of recording, there was finally we we saw notice that there would had been an approval. The approvals led to the listings. Listings led to what happened on I'll call it list launch day. $4 billion worth of flows into yeah. Bitcoin ETFs. Historics. Histor the, the number one, the highest level of flows into an ETF on any given day. Um, and so, but into even to the process of the approvals, right? We even saw, you know, talk about the, the future. We saw a couple of false starts. Yep. Um, a, a Bitcoin publication called Cointelegraph uh, tweeted a, a premature uh premature author you know that had been approval and so from that from that point from that to the point of launch you see bitcoin go up 70 percent in anticipation of this of this launch being gone then a day before the actual uh launch the sec's twitter account gets <laughs> compromised and you get a again a false start on approvals and so we we won't make too many jokes at the yeah at the uh, that could be a whole episode by itself at, at the expense of uh chair ginsler yeah but what you end up seeing is again 11 companies uh, Grayscale, iShares, Arc, Bitwise, Invesco, Wisdom Tree, Vanek, Franklin, Fidelity, Valkyrie, Hashdex, BlackRock. All of these companies are now launching products. You got eleven of them, and so now really gets into the question of you know where where does this take us from from launch date into the future of the industry? And yeah, so I mean it's huge. And and I was listening to an interview with uh, Mark Yusko, and he he brought up a survey that was done. And, uh, he was talking about how financial advisors, uh, control $30 trillion on average. Uh, and with sub 3% of that actually with exposure to cryptocurrencies. I mean, so like we're talking like the vast majority, um, you know, 
of things like micro strategies or, or grayscale, you know, um, the exposure is very little when right. it comes to, to financial advisors, but 91% of advisors say that their most important asset for managing client assets are ETFs. Mm -hmm. So that's significant. And 25% of advisors have been asked in the last month about cryptocurrency. So looks like there could be a wave of demand coming along with now governments, you know, used to buying ETFs and, and investing in Bitcoin. So looks like we got some really unique times coming ahead of us. I, I think what it does is now that the conversation happens alongside mainstream as opposed to at mainstream. So right. you could talk depending on how receptive they were. You could talk at mainstream and say, this is the value of Bitcoin. This is the opportunity set. This is what we can do with it. Now you're standing shoulder to shoulder with them and saying, look, this is what we can do with Bitcoin. They may only want it through an ETF product. Right. You and I may want it in a hardware wallet yep. because we understand. But again, now we're talking from the same side of the coin about the opportunity that we have. Uh, no pun intended on that. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're basically on the same team now because right. I, I, can, I can buy or can custody my own Bitcoin. My parents can have right. a Bitcoin spot ETF. Your institutions can invest in Bitcoin, the asset, through an ETF now as opposed to a futures contract or derivative right. or a trust. There's these, all these opportunities. And so I think, it's, I think this is, again, the first wave of what will come to define this happening cycle. So in the same way that birth to 2013 the kind of the scale up in Mount Gox incident. Right. That's kind of your first epic 2013 to 2017, 2018. That's your ICO epoch. Then you had 2018 to 2022, which was kind of the, the, the COVID government spending epic. Now you're into the traditional finance becoming involved and, and having a stake in where Bitcoin goes. And it's coming at a perfect time. The happening is scheduled, give or take, around April of this year. And so now you have well, we say $30 trillion looking right. at Bitcoin as a possibility to make money. And now they have an investment vehicle to be able to do that. Right. I mean, and plus we got potentially the Federal Reserve also um, taking a easier, more dovish approach to their monetary policies. So money printer go burr. So it looks like we got a lot of things working in our potential favor as we move forward. What do you think? It's it's definitely, I think, you know, whether, whether you want to talk about the philosophy of Bitcoin or all the things it could mean, I don't think you can avoid the, the conversation now because it's 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 here, it's mainstream. There is a Bitcoin spot ETF. It's not going anywhere. Wall Street wants this to succeed yep. now. The institutions are here. All right, well, guys, that wraps up our show for today. Thank you, Rick Jackson. This was a phenomenal conversation. We will see you same time, same place. Adios.